Hmm, looks like we're about to record our first podcast. Where do we start? How about pressing that big red button? Side Hustle Success Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Haunts, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Taylor. This is a show for anyone who has product or business ideas that wants to go full-time on them eventually, or maybe you already have. This show is about product design, entrepreneurs, freelancers, contractors, free agents, digital nomads, and anything in between. In this pilot episode, me and Kevin are going to introduce ourselves, talk about our businesses and how we got started. We'll then answer some questions from the audience and then discuss the topics of how we felt when we first quit our jobs. So Kevin, you run a business called Steel Beam Calculator, don't you? Yeah, I run a a SaaS software business. It's an online steel beam calculator tool. It's primarily used by building professionals, architects and surveyors. Um, That's been running since 2011. Um, Prior to that, I had a a consultancy business, uh, practicing as a structural engineer. So my software business sort of spun off from um, my consultancy practice. Okay, so are you actually a software developer yourself or are you more on the architecture side? I'm, more on, I'm, I'm a structural engineer so I'm not in the software side so I'm, I'm purely non-technical. Uh, my business partner Nick is a computer programmer, Okay. developer, um, so I primarily just do the non-technical side. Um, so obviously with this podcast I'll probably more emphasising the non-technical side rather than the the technical programming side, which is probably a good counterbalance to Steve, because you do more the the sort of technical side, do you? The, yeah, the smart background, so. software development. Yeah. Um, so initially, I mean, I'm very, very risk averse. I think most people think that most people that launch products or their entrepreneurs are very are risk takers, but that's not my um, how I approach things. I mean, it started as a weekends and nights um, project, uh, so I did that for a whole year, and then I started working um, three days a week contracting for another company. Um, I did that for six months before setting up on my own. So I really managed to de-risk the process. I think a lot of people think, how could I go from working full-time to being a contractor? And obviously that's very risky, but you've got to think, how can you de-risk all of those? And obviously now I've gone from from freelancing into a product business, but again, I managed to de-risk that as well. So I launched my software product initially as a side project. So initially, I think it was September 2009, I launched my first software product. And I just paid, I happened, the office that I happened to be renting, there was a, a web design company across the right. corridor. So I got talking to those guys and they built me my first very sort of MVP product, um, which had some success. Was, it was generated a couple hundred pounds a month. You know, it wasn't awesome. But what I did then is I started uh, randomly emailing lots of developers in the local area, just to see if any of them would partner with me in a new product, which is this, which later went on to become Steel Beam Calculator. And luckily, I was uh, after many rejections, as you can imagine, just randomly emailing people. Um, but this is the power of cold emailing. You've got to kind of, if you want to be successful, you've got to put yourself out there, haven't you? You can't just yeah. So how comes the people rejected you? Was it more around sort of funding and whether they'd have 
stability. Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, I can imagine most software developers get this a bit where they get people just come to them with random ideas. If you're just cold emailing somebody and you don't know them, yeah. you, uh, unless you're in a very, happen to be, I mean, luckily the person I contacted, this guy called John, I went on to form the business with, he was kind of between, between projects at the time. So he was just had a bit of free time and he thought, yeah, I'll have a punt on it. It sounded like, because I'd already had, also because I had a track record of having a successful, mm. semi-successful software product, I was able to go to him. And we, we managed to sort of start the business together. Yeah, so I was able to go to, to John and start this business and we sort of gradually built it up over the years. Um, and then eventually me and sort of John parted our ways and I've got a new business partner called Nick now. Right. And we're, we've just launched a new version of the Steel Beam Calculator on Tuesday. Oh, wow, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's unbelievably stressful, especially with our product because it is a safety critical product. We're, we're designing a steel beam. So obviously what we do has to be correct. So we've done so much testing and it's just been so stressful, unbelievably stressful, but I'm glad that it's finally completed and it looks fantastic. The product's great. So I'm really, really happy with that. We just got to sort of get people, we've, we've sort of like tinkered with little things on it. So we've got to get customers used to the new way of doing things. Um, so I think it's going to be a, a sort of transition time. So is the product aimed at um, sort of architects and professional people in the trade or is it aimed at say, you know, regular people like me who might be wanting to build an extension? It's, it's more professionals. We do have another product uh, that mean, because uh, I've got three businesses, one's called Steel Beam Calculator, which is aimed primarily at building professionals. So that's kind of architects, surveyors uh, and people like that. Whereas we do another product called Build Calcs, which is kind of, um, I'd say like a, a service mixed with a software product. It's kind of like a productized service stroke software product. And that's aimed more at consumers. Um, so we do that business as well. And obviously I do my consultancy business. So I still do roughly about 25% of what I do is my consultancy work. And I'm gradually phasing that out as the products sort of overtake that. But obviously that's part of me being risk averse is to have multiple sort of revenue streams. Um, okay, so you can use the consultancy as a way of basically paying your salary whilst you're building the business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it de-risk it. It's not like I've just gone all in to product. You know, I, I'm gradually phasing into it. And, and also I think it's quite nice. I think. It's hard to just switch from one job to another job, you know, flick of a switch. I don't know if, if you found that, Steve, where you've transitioned from working for somebody else to doing your own thing. Did you did you find that a gradual process or did you prefer to? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll cover the journey in a moment, but I mean, for, for me, I mean, I've been running my business for about what, three years before I finally quit my job. Oh, so it was a real transition, yeah. I, yeah, see, this, so I see this quite common, actually, in, in, in most successful people. Is I don't think they just instantly one day decide they're going to go from one, one thing to another thing. I think that's where you kind of, you come a cropper because you have this expectation you can just go from one thing to another thing, but with no track record or history in that, or no, you know, you've obviously you've got time to build up your, your audience mm. and your, your customer base and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm very similar to you. You know, I'm quite risk adverse. So, you know, I'm married, I've got two kids. And yeah, had a mortgage, yeah. you know, all, the, all those things that grown-ups tend yeah, to do. Yeah, I can relate to that, yeah. So from that perspective, yeah, I was very risk-adverse as well, which is why I ended up running my business quite successfully for about three years before I eventually sort of took the plunge to, to quit. Yeah, yeah, I see how you've, you've de-risked that by. I think, that's, I think that's critical for anybody that wants to go out and do a side hustle project is do it as a side hustle. Yeah. So it isn't your main income, it is a side hustle. And I think it's quite enjoyable. I actually prefer the side hustle to the day job. Mm. <laughs> I've always found, you know, it's nice to do, it's like that shiny object, isn't it? Where you're, you're moving on to the next new thing. You know, sometimes you have to be careful, you don't fragment yeah, you know, what I you guess, should be doing, you know, but it's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? I guess one thing that's a bit different between our businesses, well, apart from the, the actual products that we build, 
is that you have um, a co-founder or a business partner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and that's. It, it, it sounds like you've got some quite good complementary skills. Yeah, it, it it does work out quite well. I mean, obviously, um, my business partner is very technical. Um, obviously, I'm technical, but from a structural engineering perspective, not a computer programming or development um, perspective. So I think it's it's good to have those complementary skills. I think it works out well. Obviously, being non-technical, it, it's kind of difficult. I think there's a, an added complication. Me, I mean, if I was a developer, I think it's a double-edged sword with being a developer, isn't it? Sometimes it it can be hard because if you launch a product, you're launching probably the same product that all the other developers are launching, aren't you? Or Yeah, you know, I mean, or, with a lot of software developers I know, and, and myself included, you know, we, we love to build something, but we're absolutely hopeless at trying to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, so, I say I don't suffer from that problem because I'm, I'm, not, I'm I suppose I'm technical, but not, not that technical, you know, where with you, it's the product that you've built that you're trying to sell. So if you enjoy, if you know how to build something, doesn't mean it's necessarily going to sell. Just because you want to build it or can build it doesn't mean that's what people actually want, isn't it? I yeah, guess yeah. this is the, the issue that probably a lot of developers have, which is when I've always been more at the coalface in terms of the product and the customers. So I kind of see what their problems are because I've kind of been there and done it. I have a, a bigger understanding, but obviously it, it makes me weak in the technical field. So I need that complementary help. Mm. Um, so I think it works out quite, it adds its own complications. Cause I think if you add another person, it doesn't make the business twice as complicated. I think it makes it like five times more complicated. I think right. each person you add, it becomes like harder and harder. I don't know if you, if you think that as well, or the complexity of a business. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd rather be on my own if I could, but obviously it's not In, in what I do, me. I mean, I, I am on my own in the business that I run. So I purposefully don't have any staff I don't want any staff. I just don't want the complexities yeah, no, of managing I, people. I, I, I have a lot of freelancers that. that I work with, so I've got a, quite a good team of people that I use for doing different jobs for me, whether it's art or... Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. We do hire in designers and freelancers when we need them. And uh, for example, like we have somebody who does email support for us who's another structural engineer, uh, which was, that was a hard, difficult hire, to hire somebody with the experience that could do it remotely. Hmm. Um, and we have like sort of people do marketing and bits and bobs, but it's... it's um, we are, you know, I like to be like, do the remote team. I think we'll, in later episodes, we'll mention it, you know, like for example, the example's given the, four, the book called The Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Um, yep, we'll right. mention that in, in later episodes because I think that's a whole, a whole episode in itself. Yeah. But the, the idea of, of being um, location independent, I mean, that's the whole power of having an internet business is with a traditional bricks and mortar business, you kind of have to be in one location. But what makes internet business so valuable is the fact that they're location independent. You could be anywhere in the world. So you could sell your business not to just a local person. You could sell it to anybody anywhere in the world. You know, it makes it so valuable. Um, it's, it's really, that is one of the positive sides, um, along with all the stress and not ever switching off and all those things. Yeah, I know that one. <laughs> yeah, I oh, know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's that's one for another episode is, is, is having this trying to switch off from the day job or, or mm. the side hustle. It is, it is difficult, isn't it, as we all know. Um, yeah, but now, now it's, I think we're reaching a point now where we've just got to grow the steel beam calculator business um, and sort of give it the full potential. I mean, it is quite a niche market, so it's never going to be massive. You know, it's not going to be a huge, massive startup, but it's going to be a nice lifestyle business or, hmm. you know, it's going to be a nice business, a nice, solid, real business. So I'm looking forward to that. It's an interesting term that you said they're a lifestyle business. So what, what does that mean? Uh, a lifestyle business is... Um, the way I would define it is um, a business that gives you the lifestyle that you want. Okay. Um, rather than, you know, some people grow businesses to, to become massive like the next Google or the next Facebook or whatever, or something that they can go and sell in five years. But mine, it's always the focus has been more on having 
although I've not been very successful at it, is to, is to have this nice, nice lifestyle. But sometimes I've been it's a lot more stressful than, than you would think. You know, trying to build or run a business is always difficult. You know, yeah. there's no easy. It's not easy. It's it's hard. It's the hard things about hard things, isn't it? It, it is. It is difficult. Um, so about lifestyle business, it's kind of a business that's still going to be always going to be quite small, but it's profitable enough to support you, your co-founder. Yeah, I've always and, and, and to have a level of growth, but you're not aiming to be like you know a, yeah. bi- a billionaire, San Francisco-style yeah, well, unicorn. Would, do you know, what? I wouldn't mind being a billionaire, but it, um, it, <laughs> I think I think I'd be happy just being comfortable. I think um, or having the life for me and my family that I want. You know, that's been more of my focus. I've always been against kind of uh, I don't know that you've probably got a different perspective. I know you probably had. Obviously, I think you've worked for a funded company, haven't you? So mm. you, you might have that. Is I've not worked for a funded company, but it's something that I've always shied away from. I've always been very proud of being what they call bootstrapped. So we kind of self-funded. We, we haven't taken any outside investment. It's just the money from the customers has generated future growth. It's not come from anywhere else. Um, so I've always been quite proud of, of that. We've followed a lot of the examples. There's a company called 37 Signals. They produce, mm. they do a, a SaaS product called Basecamp. And yeah. they kind of... They wrote a number of sort of books, Rework, um, what else did they do? What's the other book they did? Rework and Getting Real, Getting Real, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and a, a few great books there about sort of the bootstrapping approach and that just appealed to me so much more than the funding route. I think certain businesses have to be funded because of the complexity of that business, you know, yeah. but for what we're doing is this kind of um, niche product, a smaller industry, you know, we, we're, we're quite happy to just bootstrap it. Yeah, I mean, the last company I worked for before I went, um, full time doing my own business. It's kind of interesting what you said earlier about how you would, would email some developers to try and get them to come on board. Oh yeah, yeah. That's exactly what the last company that I worked for did. So I had a conversation. Just to recruit with developers, is it then? Or? Yeah. Well, I had a conversation with the CTO of the business, and he wanted to recruit me in. And I was like, Yeah, it sounds great. You know, the vision they had for the product was really good. Yeah, really it was on board in- interesting. Yeah. But yeah. at the time, they didn't have enough money to, oh, to, to pay my salary. So it was yeah. actually about two years. From having that initial conversation before to, to getting the funding to to I mean I like the idea of start the startups are are amazing you know and um, the excitement of being involved with something new and it's just it's such a buzz isn't it I think in being in this the, sometimes you get sucked up into this crazy startup world I don't know if you yeah. feel that you know but it, I can see why it's intoxicating to get it was kind of addictive to start with and then they started to raise sort of more serious funding which meant they had you know big investors coming onto the board which meant there was people that you wouldn't see all the time making decisions. And you kind of get to that point where it doesn't feel like a startup anymore because there's like this board of people making decisions, which sometimes don't quite seem to fit what you thought the original vision of the product was. Uh, was it? Yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. And, and I think that always happens when you have any company and you start having serious amounts things of money get, and investment yeah, coming in. Things will it. get corrupted, won't they? It's, it's, yeah. uh, I mean, there's, the there's, values and the missions and, and, and what you certain, There's certain things you have to sacrifice and part of that is the, the freedom and the vision. Yeah, products, yeah, I yeah. I could. I mean, we did. We did actually consider getting angel investment for for our uh, steel beam calculator, and but I was kind of against that because I thought if we took investment, I thought it was like basically writing me out of the business. The way right. I saw it is because I thought that I know this is this might not happen. But what tends to happen is the people that are good at starting the business aren't the people that necessarily can grow it to the next stage. Yeah. So I always think. You know, if there was another, you know, another board involved or other people, they could, in theory, they could force you out. Or, you know, I think you'd do okay out of it, but I think it, I want to keep the vision mine and the values mine and, and kind of what I believe and what I stand for. I mean, at least the time being, I think at some point, you know, who knows if, if it were to grow, if we needed money to grow the product and we had a particular vision and we needed that money to get to that vision, we, we might look at it. But at this, at this point in time, 
um, I'm happy where we are. But what I, what I want to do is, I think I obviously you mentioned what I do. I want to sort of talk about your your story, Steve. You know what what it, what your transition was from day job to to where you are now. Yeah, sure. So I mean, I've always been the sort of person that uh, kind of wanted to build things and do my own thing. Um, and I've got, literally, I've got like a disaster trail of projects. Really? Were you the finished. kid who did the lemonade stand? Was that, were you? I never did a lemonade stand, but me, and, me and a friend at school. You're wheeler dealer. We, well, we had, a, we had a little business because my dad bought, um, oh, that's cool. back, back in the day, we had one of those like dot matrix printers. Okay, that my dad yeah, bought yeah. home from work. So we thought, if we use one of these really rudimentary desktop publishing systems, we can like print birthday cards for people and charge 20 pence to our oh, friends. Oh, wow, that's really cool, yeah. Which, yeah. which we started doing, and that made... So you've always been quite entrepreneurial in, in your outlook. I mean, I was, I was more, yeah. I, was, I don't think, I think I'm almost, I'd like to be an inventor rather than an entrepreneur, is more my outlook, but yeah, I, I do yeah, get that. Yeah, but I mean, though, I've, yeah, I've always me. wanted to build things, and the first business I ran, which I class as a proper business, even though I wasn't doing it full time, is I used to be very into music production and sound effects design. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I used to produce uh, what are called sample CDs or sample libraries, which are just libraries of like beats, loops, different sound effects that musicians uh, can yeah, add yeah. into their music. So you uh, produced, what, you like a CD, a physical CD? Would I you started want? off doing physical CDs and then I worked with a company who, who aren't around anymore, they've been sold now, but they were called Sounds to Sample. Okay. Yeah, and that was yeah. like, kind of like one of the first online um, SaaS platforms where you could oh, just go wow. on. So you could, you could get sort of, sort yeah. of sound effects from yeah, the so library. Yeah, so you, you pay your £25 and then you, you get like a two gigabyte download. Oh, that's, 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 that sounds like a nice business actually. It <laughs> was, it was, it was actually really sounds good. Sounds really um, good. As a, as a hobby business, it was great, it earned a reasonable amount of money, but it wouldn't have been enough to sustain what I'd need as a salary full time. You know, yeah, it's, and that's, that's always that tricky thing, isn't it? That's the problem with side projects if you never get out the side. I mean, it's, almost, it's, not, it's probably a life changing amount of money in addition to your normal salary, isn't it? Or oh, yeah, in terms you know, of additional money, it was, it was, it, nice, it was yeah. great. Um, but then, because my background is um, software development, and then from software development, I went into sort of leadership and management. And um, I started talking to a company in the US who I still work with now called Plural Sites. They're an on demand training company. Yeah, yeah. I think the best way to describe them is uh, like Netflix for training. So you pay a monthly subscription, then you have access to their entire library of yeah, courses. Yeah. So, so how does that work then? Do you post your courses on then, and how how does, how is that monetized or how? So does that, it's it's how a, that a revenue logistics of that. It's a revenue sharing scheme. So it's all passive income. So it's what that means is to produce a course. Um, you know, I go through a lot of effort in making a course. I mean, I'm building one right now. That's yeah, you know, yeah. Pro, pro, so it's, it's, not, it's not really like, today I was working You know, you said passive, you're thinking that means you don't have to do anything. But obviously, I'm guessing you are doing stuff because you're building new courses and having to make new content and, yeah, and research so, so, content. Yeah, so the right way for people's site. So when I first started working with them, I had to go through an audition process because um, they don't just, it's, they, they don't just let anyone onto the platform to release courses. You have to go through an audition, and that process took probably two to three months to do. This is quite quite strenuous then. It's quite strenuous. You have, you have to produce like a ten minute course with you know beginning, middle, and end, and then you submit it, and then they absolutely tear it to pieces to see how you deal with criticism. Oh no, yeah, that's that's, that's, that's like a good that. interviewing technique, apparently. I've been told. Yeah, yeah so so, yeah. so I did all that, and I got through, and I produced my first course. Uh, it was a course called Developer to Manager. So it was all about developers who want to transition to being yeah, a man I, manager. Yeah, I like how that. That sounds like that's sort of followed the path that you were taking. Yeah. Uh, I always think that the businesses that come from you and your experiences, like obviously my, my uh, obviously I was designing Steel Beam so that my business followed from mm. that, the software product followed from what I was doing. In my day. And again, you all sound like obviously you were transitioning from developer to, um, you know, manager. So mm. obviously but you were sort of like describing the process that you'd, you'd kind of lived really. So I think that's, this is probably key 
tips yeah, for so other people was, that listen to our podcast that if they want to do side projects is take inspiration from you know their what their, they're their doing their own work history yeah yeah i mean the idea for that course stemmed from a blog post that i'd written the year before which was called developer to manager and I've, oh, I've right, yeah, i took yeah. i took the concepts of that course, um, that blog post and turned it into a course did you did you when you did the blog post did you sort of get email addresses and things or did you Get, you know, get feedback on the blog post that then became um, that helped you with your course, or was there some kind yeah, of yeah? There's quite that a lot of positive comments on the actual. Um, blog yeah, post so you itself. knew there was something in it. You, yeah. you know, with the comments, the interest that, were, that you knew there was something. It wasn't you weren't just doing a random course that nobody wanted. Or oh no, no. So I, I knew the idea would be sort of fairly good, and I kind of had a, a good idea in my head of what the course would look like. So, yeah, yeah. So what we did at that point is, you know, you, you go through a pitching process with Plural Site. You you agree the course content and. By the point, or by the time you get to signing a contract, you've already gone through and pretty much mapped out the entire course because they want to see that level of detail. Before really, you, before you start this is, it sounds this sounds because I know there's other there's other sort of companies like Udemy that do, but it sounds like anybody can upload a course to Udemy. Yeah, That's Udemy's the, a different model. So Udemy, um, sorry, it's Udemy. Udemy, or, Udemy. Well, I think it's called Udemy. I don't Udemy know. or Udemy. No, never quite sure how to pronounce it. <laughs> That's the problem with anything on the internet. I keep pronouncing like, uh, is it Asus or Asus or yeah. uh, whatever? The Th their model's people. different. So they're they're a bit more like YouTube. So creators can you know, upload what they want. There's not really any peer review going on the content. There, there's technical. Yeah, so uh, Plural Sites is, is more, is more uh, well vetted than, than. Yeah, than, so when than, you, than when, every, every time you submit a module for the course, it goes through like a peer review process. You have people check it for. It's almost know, like, you know, like, like a university paper then, isn't it? More like, isn't it? The yeah, yeah, in a way, I mean, say you've got a, a course that's five modules. I mean, you have to script all the modules out then you have to build all the slides. So they would read the script before you'd even do the course? Or? No, they, would, they wouldn't do that. Um, the, the script is kind of for your benefit. And then you record everything. Used, I was using a piece of software called Camtasia at the time. What happens, like, say, for example, if you record something and they don't like it? You have to redo it. Really? Yeah, right yeah, yeah. So they could just keep rejecting it. I mean, luckily, touch wood, the amount of redos I've had to do uh, since I've been working with them has been minimal. Oh, that's, which, yeah, which that's fantastic, yeah. You must be producing good quality content then. Yeah, I like to have them. Yeah, I'm going to you're going to do like a, a Ratner then, you know, what was it the guy who said about his, um, well he said his jewellery was rubbish and then his, com his company died, didn't it, you know, right. there's a famous, there's a famous story of a guy who was interviewed about his product, wasn't he, about his jewellery products, right, do okay. you remember this? No, I don't think I've seen this. And it, it was a, it was called, Rat I think it was called Ratner's and it was a, they used to do very cheap jewellery okay. and he basically said his product was rubbish. And then it just completely killed his business. So I'm not going to do that. But, oh but to be fair, I'm, the products we produce are are really, especially the new the new product that we've just launched is is really good. I'm sure that yours is is really good. Yeah, product, I mean the, the, the viewership on my courses has been fantastic, and obviously people have the opportunity to rate the courses and leave feedback as well. So that's that's all been very positive. But what I found is when I did the first course, which took me about four months to make. Wow, so that's a real commitment then. It, isn't it, it? was. I was doing yeah. it all in my own time in the evenings. So I was obviously having to yeah, sacrifice evenings yeah. to do it. And when I, when I got to the end it's of more that, fun though, I think, doing that. Though. I, I was like, that was, obviously, when it was, I was, it was quite stressful at the time because I'd never done video editing before. Yeah. So there's I mean, a lot of skills which I had to learn. It's, it's odd because I actually started my businesses before I had children. But I wouldn't like to do it with. Did you have children, did you, when you were? Uh, How old your children? I've got yes. one little boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, was, had, we, had, we had both of them at that point, yeah. Yeah, that, so that's a challenge, years isn't ago. it? Yeah, that would have been a more of a challenge than, than before children, you know. Yeah, but I, I released the first course, got to the end of it, and once I submitted it, I actually said to myself, I said, I'm not doing another one. That was really, that, it was that, too, that, that it was just, too that much. It was too, much, it's too yeah. painful. Uh, but my wife said, Well, you, you've done one, you might as well do a second. I think sometimes you forget how painful things are, don't you? I'm like yeah. this. It's like it's like same with children. You forget you have one child. Oh, this is so 
hard work. I'm not yeah. going to do it again. And then you do it anyway, don't you? you just do, don't you? So I did the second. I did the second course, um, yeah. which took about three months, and it was easier because I'd had all the skills that I'd learned from doing it the first time around. So I thought, okay, well I'll do a third. I did a third, and now, now I'm currently working you, on my fourteenth. Oh, <laughs> oh, you got into the groove, haven't you? Then, yeah, yeah. I'll have to watch some of the content. I've not seen. Obviously, I'm not not in plural sites, so I've not seen the content, but I'll have to have a look. Yeah. And so the way it works in terms of monetization, so um, when, when you pitch a course, you agree like an upfront fee, which they pay you once you, once you turn the course, and that's to kind of help compensate you for the amount of effort you have to do to yeah, build the course. Yeah, so that initial, yeah, so that you can cover the bills whilst you're building a course. Or, yeah, but, and the rest of it is uh, revenue share, so they have a, a big pot of money, whatever that may be, we're not actually allowed to say any of the figures. Okay, so, yeah, so, so yeah, I can't fair. divulge any of that. So they'll, they'll have a big pot of money, and then based on how many minutes have been viewed of your course, and then the percentage that you agreed on your contract, every quarter you get like a slice of that. Of that oh, it's every time. quarter then, yeah. So it's a long yes. wait then, isn't it? So you get, it is, yeah, so so you we get, get royalties. Basically, get, like royalties, percentage royalties of the, the pot that's yeah. out there then, is it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so that gets paid you know, the month after the end of the calendar quarter. Is that based upon how many times uh, people look at your content? Or it's based on number, number of minutes viewed. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. Uh, so that's a percentage of the overall, you know, of the... Yeah, so if you think about how um, like artists on Spotify get compensated, it's a similar model to that. So yeah, obviously they, yeah. get, they get paid per stream. Oh, and yeah, yours is per, per minute then. Per, per minute. Per minute. Paid, so yeah. the, the more... Because the other thing is that the way that you understand that you market your product is that you do lots of conferences. Is that, can you tell us about that? And yeah. Or so how that you... Obviously, I know... Because that's the thing, because people... If you launch a product, is how do you get it out to people? How do you get that story? Do you blog? Yeah, do I you mean, you know, plural sites marketing efforts are really, really good. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, so they do help. So yeah. I don't technically have to do public speaking to get people to watch my courses because people just naturally come and search for my courses. And I've done topics that are sort of quite popular in software development, so people will naturally organically find the courses okay, yeah, on yeah. the platform. But what I had started doing is I, I knew I wanted to do public speaking, uh, mostly to get over a fear of public speaking. Oh, uh, do you know what? I'm, I, I'm terrified of public speaking. So I I, I've never done any public speaking. I spent a year doing sort of small user groups around the country. Just yeah, so if it's, it's like smaller, safer audiences. Yeah, if I was going to do public speaking, I'd probably start with a podcast and then work my way. I'll yeah. just talk it to you. It's okay. It's not that scary. But I think to talk in a, even a room with like three people in, I'd find that a little bit scary. Yeah. But like a whole room. But I guess you build up and then you start with a few people. You, and you build up small practice. Meetup. And then I, I got invited to a large conference in London called NDC London. Okay, yeah. yeah. And that was my first how proper many, big conference. How many people were there? Um, I think it was about... Just under two hundred in wow, in, in, in my be, session. I'd be scared. Yeah, I was terrified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think if you watch a video back on YouTube, you can be like, you can shaking, see be shaking. shaking. <laughs> Don't talk to me. Don't. It went really well. And at, at the end of the talk at a major conference, they they vote on the talk. So okay, they, they, yeah. they have like a card system. So green cards, yellow cards, and red cards. Oh, green man. means they like it. Yellow means there's nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't for me. Yeah. Maybe I need the material already. And red means they hate it. Oh God, that's, that's brutal, and, isn't you know, it? The majority of my cards were green, there's a few yellows and no reds. Oh, wow, fantastic. So that, yeah. well, people obviously seem to like the content. Yeah, I'd be gutted if it was like a room full of red. <laughs> but the, the scores you get from those um, like ratings obviously influences whether the conference is going to invite you back or not in yeah. the future. And, and luckily, they've invited me back. And you know, naturally, when you're, I mean, you're doing a talk on a particular subject, you know, at the beginning and at the end, you just say, you know, I do work with Pluralsight, you can go see my courses, because most people in software development are probably Pluralsight subscribers now. Yeah, the, 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 yeah. the company's got that big and got such big penetration. 
Yeah, so there's so there's gonna be so many in your target audience there's gonna be a good percentage of those people that are Yeah. So they're gonna go on and watch your courses and, mm. and, and so And these days when I when I do a major conference, because I've got access and analytics dashboard so I can kind of see what's going on. That's analytics within Within plural sites, yeah, yeah. So you, you tend to see, you know, a bit of a bump when you do a conference, but it's it's keeping your name in people's minds. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you fund attending conferences? Do you get paid to attend, or do they uh, the, costs, or no? It? The professional conferences generally, apart from ones in the US, which seems to be a bit different, but generally they pay your um, airfare and accommodation. Okay, yeah, yeah. So which is, which is fantastic. So you know, if I'm going to do a conference in Norway, for example, you know, they'll pay for the flights to and from oh, Norway. That's, yeah, that's that's really really. They, they, they cover the cost of the hotel. I mean, sometimes I'll stay out for a few extra days, which you have to pay for the hotel yourself at that. Oh, point. okay, but, just you know, as a bit of sightseeing. Just yeah. to go, if it's somewhere I've never been before, I like to stay out for a few extra days. Yeah, cool. We'll, we'll have to do our own uh, at some point conference, won't we? Yeah, yeah. The, the side hustle, side hustle conference. Podcast, yeah, I think conference. That's, that's perhaps one for the future. But yeah, yeah, something to think about. Yeah. So I mean, and from that then, so plural site is where a large proportion of my income comes from. And since then I've started writing um, short books as well. Okay, and so do you arrive in- income from those as well as the... Yeah, as so the, the income from that is courses. kind of growing at the moment. It's nowhere near what I'd get from Pluralsight and some of the other things I do. Yeah. 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 But, but I've started doing that so I want to try and build up a, a book publishing business. And I start teaching, um, I started teaching in-person workshops as well. Oh wow, fantastic, yeah. Good. Yeah, so you're doing sort of training courses, um, in-person training courses mm. in addition to the obviously online training that you do. Yeah. But so I was doing the Pluralsight stuff for just over three years until I eventually decided, you know, I need to cut the shackles from my job. And Re- yeah, go, really? and how, how and was that? Was that scary? You know, was it, um, obviously I assume that you, obviously developers are not, the, they're usually well paid, uh, traditionally well paid. Yeah, I, I was giving up a very good salary. Yeah, yeah, yeah this must be, it's a yeah. scary, how did you feel about that? You know, having to, was it relief because you don't want, you don't want to do the day job anymore, the commute and all that kind of stuff, was it getting to you and, the bureaucracy of, of being was, in a company, or was it was all that sort of stifling, and you were happy to get out of it, or was it was it something you just I want to do my own stuff, you know? I think or, if, if you can imagine every single emotion and feeling that you can have at the same time. Yeah. Did you? So, did you, so I mean, it, it was it was joy. It was fear. I don't know if what did I mean? I I kind of de-risked it because I built up like a certain pot of money so that I knew that I'd be okay for a certain amount of time. You know? Oh did yeah. You, so did I, you so do I, this? I, I, so. I did that as well. So I. Because as you said before, I'm very risk adverse. So the money which I got from Pluralsight, I stored in my business bank account. I didn't really spend much. Of yeah, it. yeah. No, I I didn't have a huge amount. I think I had like six months' salary, but which isn't a huge amount, really. Uh, at the point I quit, I had a year. I had a year salary. Wow, wow. Um, so you knew that for a whole year, you yeah. could you could. But also it. to make it less um, scary for my wife as well, because she was obviously naturally very nervous about it. I yeah. agreed that I'd pay myself the same salary as what I was on at my previous company. Ah, okay. Month. So you had to you had to generate. So that that's uh, gives you a rocket, doesn't it? To yeah. Rocket to sort of really fire you up. Okay, so on this section of the show, um, I thought it'd be good for us to answer some questions from the audience, but obviously we're recording the pilot now, so we haven't got an audience yet. So I, I solicited on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter just to explain, you know, we're, we're building this podcast and what the podcast was about. And would, does anyone have any questions that I'd like to ask two people that have successfully built their own sort of side hustles? So I've got two questions here, so we'll, we'll start with the first one. And we'll, okay, yeah, fire away. And we'll see what your, your answer is. So the first question is from Jeffro on Twitter, and he asks, what's the most difficult challenge you face in going independent? So for example, managing finances, customer expectations, and sales. This is, yeah, I think this is, like, like every question, I think it always, 
I'd like to say it depends. I think Heaton Shah and Steli FD, they do a podcast called, I think it's the Startup Chat. Mm. And they always said when giving advice, it, you should always say it depends because obviously it depends on your situation, your context, etc. But I'll give you sort of my opinion on it, but it might not be relevant to Jeffro. But I, I think, um, again, I think it's important that you de-risk um, so managing finances, like some of the tactics that we've just discussed would help in terms of managing your finances. So like building up a pot of money before you go, um, before you make the leap into doing your side hustle full time. Perhaps uh, also like building up an audience or building up your, your product or, or sort of like, um, that, that's gonna help with managing customer expectations is they know what to expect because you've kind of already started and then you can build from that. And I think sales, again, that will, it all follows. Um, so I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on this, Steve? So in terms of running the business and finances and all that sort of thing, I was already quite well experienced with that because I've been running the business for several years. Yeah, I, so, th- I think almost it's almost like as if you're asking these questions, I don't think you're ready to really start. Yeah. It's almost like I'm thinking that you need to sort of, you know, you shouldn't be worrying about the finances because you should have had that in place, you know. Um, so, so for me, the most difficult challenge, so I wasn't, wasn't doing finances because I'd already done several years of that and I've got a very good accountant who helps me out. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, to be it, I always it, think that the accounting stuff's relatively straightforward. It's more the getting customers and making sales is the hard yeah. part. You know, that's just kind of admin stuff that you so can So the audience apply. and, um, you know, revenue that I generate from Pluralsight is, is consistent and it's growing. Okay, so, yeah. So, I, so I'm able to sort of, well, no, never say never, but I'm always able to sort of roughly predict kind of what it's going to be for at the end of the month. So, so that's, that's kind of good. I think the, probably the most difficult challenge is, is because when I first went independent, that's when I decided, well, I'm going to try and do this book publishing business. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I've, I've written seven short books and they're, they're short books they're between like 18 and hundred pages. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, they're not really long books. They're, it's designed to just, you know, focus on a subject and give you the information that you need. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so from that point of view, that was something completely new for me. So I'd never done self-publishing before on Amazon. Okay, I had to learn how to do yeah, that. I've yeah. got to learn, you know, well, are the books going to be any good for a start? Because I'd never written a book before. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm dealing with freelancers for doing cover design, copy editing, and all that sort of stuff. Books probably quite hard because you're doing so much upfront work without feedback from customers, aren't you? So it's it's yeah. And it's, obviously, the, the hardest bit is selling it. I mean. With the work I do with Pluralsight, they've you know it's a ready-made audience. They do lots of marketing of the courses that get released, so you, it's kind of easier to promote there. Yeah, yeah. But when you um, self-publish on um, Amazon, it, you've got to do it all yourself. So for me, I'd say sales is the hardest part. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think like managing finance. I mean, I'm I hate doing things like that. Um, it, it's difficult for somebody like me to sort of do. I kind of find but bookkeeping really boring. So from the start, I've always had a bookkeeper. I have, okay. an, have an accountant. I kind of outsource all of that. I always have done because I don't enjoy it. I want right. to focus on the things that I enjoy, which is the engineering, the structural engineering side and building new products and things like that is, is what I like to do. Um, so the managing finance stuff is quite easy and, and I think you're probably right. I think it's that getting customers mm. and keeping customers and making money, making sales is the hard bit, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. Especially for technical people like us as well, I think it's even more important. Yeah, so I, I don't have a marketing background, I don't have a sales background. I mean, probably the most experience I've got in that area is I've tried to read books on it. Yeah, but, but that's yeah, probably literally great, yeah. <laughs> in, in terms of finances and bookkeeping, I mean, I use some pretty good software. I use a package called Zero. 
okay, xero.com. Yeah, yeah, I've always been a, and, a bit, you know, that, a bit lazy. And that directly links to your bank account. So as transactions come into your business account, they appear in zero. you categorize them. Yeah, it's probably easy with your business with it being plural sites all online. It's easy to manage, isn't it, in that yeah, respect? You know, once a month, I pull out the box of receipts and start taking photographs <laughs> of them and filing them. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's not that big a deal. I think the actual managing the finances the bit is, is the most straightforward bit. I think the hard bit is is making sales and marketing, yeah. so marketing your product and, and then selling it, it, it. That's the hard bit, isn't it? Um, but I think that's you can make that easy by sort of um, doing the research up front and starting the business as a side project before you actually launch it yeah. and seeing whether it's going to fly. Okay, so the, the second question we've got is from a guy called Paul, and this is from LinkedIn, and he says, I had an idea some time ago, but I was put off by legal considerations. That is, I didn't know what the relevant laws were around my idea, and whether I'd be in breach of them if I proceeded. Um, I'd be interested to hear how you deal with such questions when laying out a chunk of money for a solicitor, um, or without laying out a chunk yeah, of money well, for well, a solicitor. Yeah, what I'd like to say is that we're not um, lawyers or solicitors, so... Obviously, we can't really give too much legal advice. Um, yes, we can give opinion, not legal uh, this advice. This is opinion, yeah, not legal advice. If you, if you do need legal advice, I'd recommend that you speak to a lawyer or a solicitor, um, first of all. Um, and, and again, it all depends on, on what the business is. I always think, though, that um, you tend to find that if, if you're a small person, you know, if you're a very small company, nobody's really going to be interested in suing you because there's just no money in it. But if you became a bigger company, that's when it becomes more critical, you know, yeah. or the idea really starts to take off because then people will start looking to get money off you, you know. So, I mean, obviously, the product we do, we do an online steel beam calculator. So we've had to sort of try and de-risk it because ours is a, uh, you know, it's an important product in terms of safety. You know, it's a safety critical product. So we've had to, point, yeah. yeah, it depends. So that's why certain businesses, it depends what you're doing. If you're doing something... Um, that's not as important as what we're doing. You might might approach it differently. So different sectors might have different approach. Obviously, we've had to be really careful because of what we're doing. So obviously, with our terms and conditions, have to be tight. Um, obviously, we've got to really make sure the product's correct uh, and the way that we market it isn't isn't. We're not promising things that we can't do. So, is there any specific insurance policies you've had to take out? Yeah, for our product, we have uh, what they call professional indemnity insurance. Um, to cover us for in case we were to make an error in the software. But obviously we do as much as we can and I'm, I'm fairly certain that, that we've never had a problem with the products that we've launched, um, but it's, it's just in case. So I think it's worth having that peace of mind is to have the relevant insurance if, if you need it. I mean, it just depends. I, I wouldn't, what I'm worried about is that somebody puts loads of effort into um, getting loads of legal advice that costs a fortune and it's not warranted for the, pro the product that they're launching. If they're just doing a really you know, if it's just going to be a side hustle project, um, you want to kind of de-risk it and go for something that's low risk. I don't know what your mm. thoughts of this are, at least initially. You know, obviously, once you've got the budget for it, you can spend more on, on legal fees. Yeah, I mean, the concept or... from my point of view, because I'm, yeah, so my business is effectively training. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I take out something called errors and emissions insurance, which I think it's the same as professional indemnity insurance. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like it's very so, similar. I mean, so, you know, yeah. if I say something in a course and it ends up being incorrect and it costs someone a lot of money or causes a problem in their company then that's that's kind of my cover yeah that's sort of like obviously we have that. yeah professional indemnity is very very similar but obviously that's related it's not anything it's not anything safety concerned i mean obviously if you're one you've got the potential for building falling down yeah that's that is the scary the scary thing about our business uh, it's the thing that keeps me awake at night yeah but i mean i've never had to pay out for a solicitor as such i mean 
you know, I, I do have to sign and read contracts. Yeah, and we, we purchase uh, sort of online contracts and, and tinker them and, um, and things like that, but we haven't really spent too much on, on the legal side. We, we do have the insurance, um, and obviously we seek help with that, but yeah, that's, that's it. I, I think it, it, it depends, it depends, but I wouldn't let it put you off. I wouldn't, I'd say to Paul is that, have a look at the idea, if there's a way that you can do the idea without um, get, getting expensive legal advice, if you can get the advice from a friend or family or somebody that, that knows what they're doing, you know, or speak to other people in the industry. If there's any way that you can sort of reduce the costs, that, that would be the way to go, I think. I guess something you should really be doing as well is a bit of competitor analysis. So the chances are, I mean, it's very, very hard to have a completely original idea these days. So you want to kind of look and see if there's any competing products out there that do something similar to what you're doing. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of thought on this in there about competition. I think that's, um, I think we're going to do, that's one of the future topics, isn't it? About it is, competition. yeah. So there's, there's different, different, different views on this, um, whether competition, obviously if there is competition, it proves that, that it's a valid idea or business mm. or whatever, but uh, you know, it, it depends, like all these things, you know, and I think the other approach is that um, some people like to have a monopoly, so they want their product to monopolize their industry, so that, that can happen as well. So it's, it's, it's a balance really. Okay, so in this uh, section of the show, um, each episode we're going to sort of tackle a, a small topic. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about you know stuff from our point of view, uh, as well as it sort of being factual and kind of educational. Okay, yeah. But I figured on this on this first episode because we you know we've been talking about what it is we do for our businesses, and we've kind of alluded to this already. But I thought it'd be an interesting topic to talk about how it actually feels to finally quit your job. You know, kind of what what are the um, what are the emotions so you, you feel? What goes in the champagne? What, yeah, <laughs> what, what's what's going through your head at the time? I mean, so because you you had you said you had a full time job, yeah, and then, and then, was, you, and then you was, did some consulting. Kind of, I mean, we we live in Derbyshire, which isn't there isn't it's not like London where there's loads of opportunities for jobs. Mm. So I had a steady job working for a, for a local council, local government, and uh, you know, working as a structural engineer in local government. It was a steady job, but it was kind of a bit stifling. The bureaucracy was was painful. And I wanted to kind of do, go off and do my own thing. You know, I, I remember my parents being really upset because my mum actually cried when I quit my job. Oh no. So it's just like really, <laughs> I felt really bad and problem. But luckily it turned out okay. I think, I think in the end, you know, things all worked out okay in the end, but it was kind of stressful for them because I think they just wanted, you know, they're, they're of the generation where you had a job for life. And it's not like that. Yeah. Actually, I'm kind of glad I did leave the local government because when the sort of recession, the great recession kicked in, a lot of people lost their jobs who worked for local government. So right. there's a, potentially I could have lost my job and been in a worse position than, than I was. Luckily, I got out at the right time, so to speak. Um, so, so it was okay, but it, I think it's scary. I don't know. I mean, I think quitting a, a steady job, I mean, it wasn't too bad. We didn't have children at the time. My wife worked, so it wasn't terrible. I had a bit of savings, so it was kind of okay, but it is stressful. I don't know how, how it was that your kind of... Yeah, I mean, I was, I was terrified. Yeah, oh, yeah, you always are, I, think, I, think, I think the thing that made me it's the fear, isn't it? Because I, I put a lot of effort and preparation into this first. So I run the business, you know, for, for a good three years. I built up a good buffer of about a year's salary in the business. Bank it sounds account. like yeah, you. So, really, so I had a safety. You, cushion. you were organised. You were organised. I, I tried to be organised, and and the main reason was is my wife was quite nervous about it. Did, does does she work there, or was that? She does, but she's very different to me. So she's worked at the. I mean, we've been together eighteen years. I mean, it helps if she has a steady job because I guess that you know it de-risks it to. Yeah, I mean, she's got a steady job and she's worked at the same company uh, for eighteen years. 
So she's, yeah, been, so she's yeah, been working yeah. for the same place ever since we've been together. Uh, whereas I was always different. You know, I think the longest I've ever stayed anyway is five years. That's my. God, that's, I think the most I've did was just over two years yeah, in one job. My average was around two years. So yeah, I was always I'm the sort of person yeah. where you know, I'll go somewhere, I have the impact which I think I'm going to yeah. have, and then if I feel like I've you know, I'm just I, I spinning my wheels and repeating. At the point where you kind of you thought you'd learnt all that you could from that position or whatever, I was kind of like always like that. I used to change jobs uh, sort of like every two years or yeah. Whatever, I mean, you know, the last company kind of... I was at before I quit. I mean, I was working for a startup. It was one I talked about earlier. So you know, I've been talking to them for a couple of years. They ended up getting a decent amount of funding. I went to work with them and I was there nearly a year and a half. Okay, yeah, yeah. And it was great fun. I absolutely know. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't want to leave because I hated the company. That wasn't the case at all. Yeah, it was a really yeah. good company. They're building a really interesting, innovative product. I mean, that, that makes it hard, product. doesn't it? If you're leaving a really interesting, well-paid job, you know, it, it makes the decision harder, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I got to the point. I mean, my, my wife always jokes that me quitting my job was my midlife crisis because yeah. I because <laughs> I, I, I got a sports car. <laughs> I, I quit my job when I was forty. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, I'm just in forty actually. So yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so she she always joked that it was a midlife crisis. But you know, I, I put a lot of preparation into it to try and de-risk it for myself and for my wife and family because I've got yeah, you know, two yeah. kids and a mortgage no no I've, yeah I've got the so got even too. though I knew you know I was, I was at a point where you know if I earn no revenue whatsoever I can sustain myself at the same salary for a year yeah yeah so, so I think that's really important and that's kind of a, a bit of advice I'd always give anyone whether you're, whether it you're sounds do like it business. almost was no risk wasn't it almost well not no risk but it was to less a degree risk, I mean you know I, I was you could have just gone back to work after a year couldn't you got another job yeah I mean I was, I was dropping a very good salary yeah yeah so but you could have afforded it though I could afford it but it's always, it's always a hard one to try and justify it to yourself saying you know I've got a really good salary but I'm also earning good money doing this other yeah thing. but one of them has is going to go, which is the really good salary. So I need to try and make that back, or be at least sustainable. Yeah. Did you business. have any? Did you have any doubts, or that that you would be able no. to within a time frame that you'd be able to cover your salary? You know, or I think um, no. I mean, I, I was able to cover, cover my salary from the start. So the the amount of money that I get from all the various different things I do each month is more than what I need to pay myself in salary. Yeah. So do you, I mean, obviously I suffer from this. Do you, do you still um, doubt that in the future you will be able to sustain the levels you're at now? Or do you think that? No, I don't think so. I mean, things, things are doubt. kind of growing at the minute. So I'm always kind of a bit insecure that one day, you know, it could all come crashing down. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think, I think there's know, always, it, it's never, it's never like you get a day off or you feel restful from it. There's always, one, one thing I kind of said to myself was, uh, you know, I'll, I'll quit, I'll do my own thing, but, you know, every now and again I'll do some consulting just to... Yeah, I mean, I, I just, do. Just to fill up the coffers, and uh, I've not done it yet. And oh, I, really? You've not had to? Wow, fantastic. I, 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 yeah. I, don't, I don't really want to, but, I mean, the, you know, if it all does go horribly wrong and I do need to find some other work, become... I'll probably just become a contractor for a bit. Oh, so it's not like, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I guess you're lucky in your industry is that there is being a... A software developer, there is work out there, isn't it? Uh, it yeah, there is. It, I mean, the thing that's always it's an worried me skill, isn't it? It's not the thing that's always worried me about contracting is that you know you have to chase the contract, which means you might have to live away during the week, which, okay. which, which is not something I really want to do. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't you not don't have to do that. I mean, we we. I mean, can you do some? I assume you can do some remotely, or is that is that harder to get? Some those you can. A lot of companies like you to be on site. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's more I mean, difficult, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we're quite close to Nottingham and Derby, so there's quite a lot of opportunities around. Yeah, areas, so there's, there's there's opportunities. So I mean, if the worst, it's like I thought. I, I I never really thought there was a risk with doing my business because I thought I'm a structural engineer. I can always get a job as a structural engineer if it went wrong. 
that it wouldn't be it's it's not that bad the downside isn't that bad but the upside is is really good yeah so i think that's the advantage of being from being salaried to being freelance or being uh, having your own business is that you know there is no there's, there's less risk because yeah. you can always if your business fails you can just go back and do your day job or get another job i think if i was to try and sort of sum all this up into a piece of advice if anyone thinking of doing this is you know build the products in your in your own time you know bootstrap it yourself build it in your own time but also at the same time you know try and reduce any debts that you might have save up a buffer get your outgoings as low as you can yeah sounds like sensible advice yeah so just really, really try and prepare yourself financially but also be kind of aware of how much it's going to cost you to run a business yeah yeah a bit nice. and also the other thing that a lot of people for this if you're if you're doing consultancy work especially doing freelancers that you don't always realize how much time the admin side of the business takes or the other things like the marketing all the things you don't get paid for yeah so, certainly so when you've you got to factor up. that into your business as well because everything always takes longer than you think mm, absolutely um, so it's important to think about that you know so if you're going to charge an hourly rate factor those other things that you mm. do in your business that aren't chargeable into your hourly rates um, but that's yeah I think that's there's some really really great points there and I think we've addressed a lot of the the fears that you may have about starting your own project. But I'd um, say it's very common to be terrified. Yeah, no, I, I, I no, think if anyone no, says they're not the terrified, I'm, they I'm still, I'm still, because we launched this new product on Tuesday, I'm still slightly stressed and I'm just gradually calming down. Hopefully right. by the weekend or next week, I will have got back to normal. I'm still not sleeping great because I'm kind of stressed a little bit by, by it, but I'm hoping by this time next week, I'm, I'm going to, I'm gradually calming down. Yesterday was a good day and I felt. Was the, was, was the new version, was it, was it significantly different? Oh it? yeah, it was like a whole new product. It was written in a whole new um, design, uh, sorry, in a new language. Um, okay. it, was, it was just, it's like, it's like, it's kind of is the same product, but it's almost so different. It's a new product in effect. So it's, it's awesome, but it has been quite stressful and I'm just glad that it's over now. Um, and on to, on to the next product. We've got a, a, new, a new project we're working on. So we'll be working that soon. Um, but I think, I think that's all for, this time and uh, we'll have to get back to you next time we've got loads of interesting topics to talk about so yeah look so forward to, to doing this so in this uh, final section which is something I thought would be quite fun to do um, every episode is just where we recommend something so it could be a book it could be a piece of software it might not even be related to running a business it could be something that you've watched on TV that you found quite inspiring which has helped you but it's just kind of our own sort of personal picks yeah, no, I think this is, this is, this is, I mean, it's hard because obviously some of these are personal preferences and, and what's applicable to you isn't always applicable to other people, but these are things that have helped us. So hopefully, hopefully they will help you as well. Uh, do you want to give you a recommendation, Steve? Yeah, sure. So my one is actually a documentary. Um, it's called Six Days to Air. And what a documentary is about, so are you familiar with the cartoon South Park? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what this, um, Documentaries about it's, it's kind of a yeah. it's, it's it's behind the scenes of an episode of South Park, so all of their episodes when they first come out are quite topical. So if something's happened in the news fairly recently, they tackle that, that in, issue. in, in, in oh, a new episode. Yeah. So to do that, they have to be able to write, animate, record, and edit and deliver an episode in six days to Comedy wow, Central. Yeah, that's crazy. So this documentary, it's uh, it's basically the behind the scenes of them building one episode, and it was. I can't, is it season 11? It's an episode called... Was the, it a particularly contentious episode? Or? Yeah, I, I won't go into too much detail about the uh, actual contents of the episode. Yeah, no, it's, no, it's no, a family no. show. Okay, but yeah, it, it was sure. an episode called The Human Sentai Pad. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah do you know I the can, one I mean? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm not seeing the film, but yeah, so I, I can imagine. The documentary, it kind of starts off where the uh, the creators, Trey and Matt, have just come off of doing um, a musical called The Book of Mormon. Okay, So, so yeah. it starts off with them, you know, getting all these awards and all that, and then the next day they're back at South Park office. Really, really. They're sitting in a room with all the writers, and they're sitting there thinking, you know what, we've got nothing, we've got no ideas. It's this sort of like uh, showing the creative process of, of how yeah. they come up with new content and, so and it, how it, quickly it, they but do it. It shows the struggle as well. It's, just, it's not all like, you know, everything's great and this is how yeah, it all I think works. People, people don't see that, do they? For literally half of that six days, they're struggling to come up with ideas, and they've got oh. all, all the people in the writing room just frying around, to, I won't say some, what some of the ideas are, because some of them are pretty gross. Yeah, pretty crude, I can <laughs> so, imagine, uh, yeah. you, you need a strong stomach to watch the episode. But it's, it's just a really interesting insight to how this creative process works. And for example, they had, they had one bit which is, I found hilarious. They've got a lawyer who works for them. Oh, God, And yeah, she yeah. was on the phone to Comedy Central in a complete, you know, deadpan lawyer type voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Saying, uh, so uh, how many F-bombs can we get away with in this episode? <laughs> Currently we have seven. But seven. We're, but we're wondering if we can push it to eight. That, that is crazy. And then um, she's uh, describing... You know, something that happens in the episode. I say oh, it's very graphic. I won't. I won't repeat it. No, but, no, but, but she's like reading this out in this real sort of deadpan, straight voice. Yeah, like a lawyer, lawyer speak. Yeah, and then you can Deadly hear, hear a conversation of that. Well, you can't quite do that, but maybe if you, you know, do this other <laughs> gross thing instead, that would be acceptable. That's, that's acceptable legally, but not. Yeah. I so, see. yeah. So I mean, if, if you're a fan of South Park. Uh, especially, or if you're just a fan of you know the creative process, I really recommend yeah, watching this documentary. I watched it on iTunes. Uh, I it's, think it's could, probably available in other. Yeah, I think we'll have places. to do we'll have to do a, a podcast about the creative process because that's hard. You know, coming up with new ideas is is really really difficult. Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things you can do, isn't it? And it also shows about sort of. Um, Sometimes I think your best work is produced when you produce to constraints. So they had, oh, very, wow, they, they yeah. had a very definite six constraints. Days, yeah. They had six days to get this episode out. If they didn't get it out, then there was nothing to air on TV. Wow. Because the thing yeah. literally went out so live. And yeah. I think in this, you know, in this program, they literally show them, you know, with, with the master tape on the back of a motorbike, delivering it to Comedy Central wow. to load it into wow. the machine and start playing it. It was, wow. it was, it was kind it's of like, that close yeah, to the wire. Right to the knuckle. But I wanted to recommend it because I'm really into looking at the creative process. So one of my personal favourite things, which is quite geeky, is whenever I buy a film, say on Blu-ray or on iTunes, um, extra. I think I think it's the hate to say you're a proper geek. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a proper geek. The, as well as the film itself, I really love the documentaries and featurettes that come with the film. You, you are a geek. We talk about how they actually made that film. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I love learning about the creative the process, process of how how they do things. Yeah. Um, that sounds. That sounds. I'm going to have to take a look at that at some point. Uh, Six days to air documentary. It. So we'll we'll add that to our show notes. Um, but what I'd like to quote is I'm a bit of a podcast junkie. That's why I'm super excited to be here now. Um, obviously, I've listened to so many podcasts, but I've never been on one. This is my first. Um, but there's one particular podcast that I'd, I'd recommend. It's called Startups for the Rest of Us, and it's sort of aimed at probably like pe- people like me and Steve. It's it's startups for just normal people that have families and they can't do the whole let's go to Silicon Valley and get a billion pounds, million pounds, or whatever it is, funding. This is just for normal people who have normal families who can't live off noodles while they're starting their business. Okay. They've got to have real money, and you know, like, like we've discussed, you know. And it's sort of hosted by uh, Rob Walling and Mike Tabor. And Rob Walling's uh, one of my heroes, really. He's, he's done a business called Drip that's been really successful. And they, the thing about them is it's consistency. They crank out um, an episode every week on a consistent basis. I think they've done over 400 episodes and there's some great content in there. Um, the particular episodes I like, there's one on about mastermind groups and that's something we'll mention in a future episode. Okay. And, and a mastermind group is, 
I meet up with two other entrepreneurs once a month in person and we sort of like discuss uh, how the business is going, how we can improve our businesses and give tips. I find that's been really, really useful in growing the business. I'd recommend anybody who, who does that perhaps. I mean, kind of this podcast is our mm. mastermind, isn't it, to a certain extent, or it yeah, will yeah. become like that. Um, so I'd recommend, yeah, Startups for the rest of us. By uh, It's hosted by Rob Walling and Mike Tabor. And I'd, I'd really, really recommend that. There's some great content. I mean, you probably don't have to watch every episode because there's 400 episodes, but perhaps just look for the ones that are relevant to what you're doing at this moment in time. Okay. Uh, I'd, I'd recommend that you take a look at that. Would you, would you say we're a competitor to that podcast? Uh, we, or, we or, or, are, or do you yeah, think we complement We're, we're complementary, I'd say. Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of, of Rob and Mike's work, so I'd like to think that we, we can be like the British version of, uh, of Ta- Tally Ho, what? Yeah, Tally Ho. Chocolate, yeah. We can be the posh, posh British version of, of startups for the rest of us. But no, I think we're comp- We're probably coming at it from a slightly different angle than, than they are. Um, but I really do. I also like Rob Walling's, he did a book as well called Start Small, Stay Small, and it's kind of like the counterbalance to the whole Silicon Valley funded route. It, it's kind of interesting. Although Rob okay. actually went on and had a big business, <laughs> because yeah. it's kind of ironically. But so what's that book called again? It's called Start Small, Stay Small. Start Small. Okay, we'll have to add that to the show notes. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, yeah. Brilliant, wow. Thanks for that. So we uh, we really have recorded a podcast. Wow, that's... that's uh, Lots, lots, lots of, of bucket lo- list. Lo- lots, <laughs> lots, of, lots of planning and uh, here we are. We've done it. We've done it and uh, I hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back next week. Well, is it next week? Uh, I don't know how often we're going to do these. <laughs> is it on a weekly basis or fortnightly? Fortnightly. Fortnightly. Oh, yeah. fortnightly. Yeah, so in, we, in so a fortnight we shall be back. With we're we're going to release every, every two weeks, I think, is a... I think it's a good cadence for us to start with. Yeah, yeah, we may we may increase that if, if things go well. We'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. Or, or obviously, we want to put out great quality content. So I don't want to just talk and have nothing to say. You know, so yeah. I want us to have something important to say or something that's. At the end of the day, I want to help people, and I assume you're the same, Steve. You want to help the people that listen to the show. You know, it's not just about us talking about something. It's I want to bring value to the world. You know, in in what we're saying and trying Absolutely. to help. If it just I mean, helps, like say, ten people move away from their day job whenever I, whenever their... I listen to podcasts I mean the thing I like about podcasts is you know for a start you get factual content so you're actually learning something yeah but the bit I always find the most interesting is when it's based around someone's experiences and opinions ah, okay yeah but it's real yeah yeah it's real, which, which is lived, kind of what I'm, experiences that's kind of what it? I'm hoping the appeal with this podcast but you know we both run very different businesses but they are side hustles. They're things that we started off. Yeah, as a, as a side project. Yeah. As, as pet projects, side hustles, and we've taken to become full time businesses. But the businesses are different, which is why I think it kind of complements very well. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I think it's going to be good, and I'm just looking forward. We've got some great ideas for for new topics, and also we're hoping we get some great customer feedback that we can create episodes and content with. So with that, I think we'll wrap it there, and we'll be back in two weeks' time. Thanks a lot, everyone. <laughs>